This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Xero. As a listener of this podcast, you are probably keen on getting industry insights, staying ahead of leading edge technology, and boosting your network. Well, I have some good news for you. This June at ZeroCon 2019, Xero will bring together hundreds of tech-savvy, future-minded professionals just like yourself from across the Americas and the entire globe. Come join Blake, myself, and this collaborative community in action June 18th and 19th in San Diego. To receive a special discounted ticket to ZeroCon 2019 in San Diego, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.com slash zero. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.com forward slash X-E-R-O-C-O-N. Book your ZeroCon ticket today and we'll see you in San Diego. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And I'm Rachel Fish. Well, hey, where'd you come from, Rachel? (laughs) It's like I snuck in through the speakers in the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I listen to you guys every week and I sometimes agree and sometimes don't agree, but usually talk back. And now I feel like I need to be a little mindful that you can hear me now. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. For everyone listening, Rachel is our first guest commentator on the Cloud Accounting Podcast uh, in charge of accountants and alliances at Sage over in the North. I just watched Game of Thrones. So like, I want to know how is Winterfell doing, Rachel? The thaw has begun. We're starting to see a little green grass. Yeah, no, we're good. But thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. And we look forward to hearing what you've got to share. But first, David. So we got a review from the UK this week. Title of the review is Interesting. Despite living in the UK, it is interesting to hear what is happening in the US cloud accounting and being about the cloud makes it relevant to all. The presenters are great at explaining. I think this like makes you guys international now. Well, we are the number one accounting and bookkeeping podcast in the world. Did we not hit like number one in a certain category in Trinidad and Tobago? And we forgot to mention it. That's awesome. (laughs) That I think. Uh, Kenya once, we got number two, and Arab Emirates, we got number three. So yeah, we're starting to take over things. Very cool. (laughs) Other than the reviews, David, I've seen you just all over Twitter uh, asking questions, trying to find out what's going on. I mean, we had tax day, obviously was on the 15th, right? So welcome back to all our tax professionals. Thanks for listening. We know that you're listening because our downloads have doubled in the last few days. Unless you're Canadian and then you're just kind of irate that everybody is celebrating back to taxi after tax season because we still have two <laughs> weeks to go, guys. So, so I only brought two stories this week because I, I just have one big story I kind of worked on. And arguably, it's not even a story like I don't have a link like, oh, so and so covered this on a website. Like this is my story that I put together um, really via Twitter. Investigative journalism right here. Investigative journalism. So. Let's take a time machine back to January. So late January, um, episode 55, we talked about a company called Visor. They're a newer tech startup. They raised uh, $9 million more million for a total of $15 million. They were going to do people's taxes for $99. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. We were both impressed with their actually their pricing page. You were paying for what you were getting. Right. You're just like, okay, I'm paying for a return. And oh, I had cryptocurrency and I had two 1099s. And you're you're kind of saying what you had, and then they're quoting you a price. Super, super straightforward pricing. You and I were both impressed with the pricing page. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at it again to refresh my memory. And yeah, I really liked how it was it was a $99 base price, and then they just added another $99 if you fit these particular situations, such as being self-employed or selling stock or having rental income, just like very easy for a non-accountant or non-tax person to understand. So that was last January. Obviously, I knew a visor, but I wasn't really watching or paying attention to anything. So Saturday morning um, on April 13th, I got tagged no Twitter. I wasn't even out of bed yet. I got tagged in a Twitter conversation by a John Young CPA. His Twitter handle is Accountable John. 
Pfizer was not being responsive. And the change started like in February, it's February 22nd, that Pfizer wasn't being responsive. And I don't know, it was Saturday morning. And I, I was just, I, I just, rep- I kind of blew it off. I was like, hey, is this, is this even a tech issue? And, you know, in my opinion, Pfizer is just an accounting firm. This would be like calling into the firm. If you don't get good service, move on to the next firm. Mm-hmm. Well, John Young corrected me. And he's like, yeah, but this is a little different, right? They've gotten $15 million in funding. They're a fintech. Their pitching is a, a tech-heavy solution for tax preparation. They're not responding. But I kind of see your point. But then he said, hey, give a search for a visor on Twitter. So I had a plan to do my own taxes on Saturday. So instead of doing my own taxes Saturday morning, I started do, uh, doing searches on visor on Twitter. Well, this is a good procrastination technique. I was just going to say Saturday, April 13th, and deadline is when? The Monday. So I find it ironic that like instead of doing my taxes, I started researching an accounting firm that was doing other people's taxes. So I'm going to kind of work backwards in this timeline. So follow, follow along with me. So I started looking and I started finding dozens of tweets from customers. So these are irate customers on Twitter, like tagging Visor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, And so... A lot of it was they prepaid for a service and some of them weren't hearing communications back from Visor for days, weeks, and months. Even as of April 12th, people were tweeting, Visor, I have a question I need an answer to today to file my taxes. I sent the question on my Visor account through your chat feature a week ago. Could you please get me some response today? Tweets like, Visor is the latest tax fraud in the making, question mark, duping people of money in the pretext of filing taxes, then vanishing without responding to messages in the portal. No phone number to get in touch with, no email address. Also strongly not recommending that anybody sign up for Visor tax. I paid six months in advance, uploaded all my documents a month ago. Now with five days to the deadline, there's no phone number, no return, nothing. Other tweets to this effect. So even so, this is working backwards. Now we're going back to April 6th. People weren't getting responses, right? Hey, I submitted my paperwork a month ago. I was told my taxes would be filed in three to 10 business days. Today, I got a message saying they can't get it done and they're going to file an extension. And actually the original thread that you were tagged on, the the beginning of that was actually February 22nd. And even at that point, he was saying that it had been weeks before you've been able to. So I feel like this thing kind of snowballed really close to the, the deadline, which is when people started getting really irate about it. But it actually looked like it had been going on for months already. Absolutely. And then that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so April 6th, April 3rd, and you're going all the way back to March 22nd. People tweeted things like, uh, this is March 31st. Um, her name's Liz Wessel. She said, Pfizer, I can't tell if this is a scam anymore because your customer support is so slow, several days between messages. Is there anything I can do to have someone respond to any of my messages? Just trying to figure out if I need to switch to TurboTax before the taxes are due. Going back to March 12th, somebody said, I'd really like a refund. Coming up on day seven and still nothing's been updated despite the apologies for the delay I was given. I really thought this would be a back and forth conversation with a CPA. Instead, it's an upload documents and wait a week type of a situation. So obviously people had genuine concerns, mm-hmm. right? For sure. 100% of the communication was supposed to be done through the Visor app. So you, you have the Visor app, you take pictures of your tax forms with the Visor app, you communicate with your accountant or bookkeeper through the Visor app. But because the quote unquote accountants were not responding back through the Visor app and the fact that they had no email address available, no customer chat on the website, no help, no support ticket system, et cetera, folks started taking to Twitter. So that's kind of what, what, what has happened. Everything was on Twitter, which would be okay. But you guys ready for the but? Yes. Visor's Twitter account went radio silent on March 28th. Whoa. And then on April 14th, started to respond to people. So that's. April 14th is what? We're down to 48 hours before the tax deadline. Yeah. Wow. Right? Then then on April 15th, spun up 
an email address, hiadvisor.com, and started to provide people with an email address. When you're down to what? What's that, the last 36 hours of the tax season? It's kind of nice that a tech company is actually making the service level at most tax firms look good right now. You know, like. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, it, but it gets worse. We're, we're now 36 hours of tax deadline, right? Right. Getting down to the last day. Um, and then you start seeing other tweets of even more dissatisfaction. So this is on April 15th. Anybody else get taken in by the visor ads? Have their quote unquote advisor stop responding on 329? Spending today doing your taxes on TurboTax because you didn't know it was happening? File. Then you get a response from visor that says they're working on your return while they ignored your four previous messages. There's uh, other people. So it's tax day. So this was April 15th. So it's tax day. I still have no idea what the status of my taxes are. I thought that Vi- advisor sounded like an innovative way to do taxes, but after 1.5 months, I still have no idea if my taxes will be fully processed before April 15th. There's even requests on April 15th. This is Cornell Kidd. He's asking Visor, Visor, please do not file a tax return on my behalf. I sent you all my documents weeks ago and have not heard back once. Since taxes are due today, I file my taxes through a different service. I would like to request a refund immediately. Yeah, this is not not good. And they're not even really responding to this stuff, right? No, not at all. No no replies on me. They started to barely, barely responding. Okay, tax deadline's passed. I was waiting to see, like, what's going to happen past the deadline. Right. I was like, that's when this becomes, in my opinion, a real story. Here's tweets from April 17th, which is one day past the deadline. Visor, it's past the tax day and my dashboard says it's still filing. I've received no confirmation that taxes were filed on time. Please help. No response from Visor. Um, another one. Uh, Visor, what kind of customer service is this? I prepaid all the fees, yet my taxes are not filed. No one is responding on chat. I even booked a call, but no one called. Um, third one, Visor, it's past tax day and my profile is still is in tax preparation, but no one is responding to my chat for the last three or four days. Help. Wow. So I'm kind of like, are you kidding? Like, what, what's your two feelings before we kind of move on? Because it well, actually gets better. But part of me is wondering if this is like they took the money and ran. Yeah, that there isn't even anything behind the scenes or at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So the big deal is that they collected this money up front from these people. They took their tax documents. They said they would file and then... Nothing happened. Yeah. That seems to be what's going on. So so here's where it really, it, it, this is what really, it gets better, right? Um, so two months ago, their founder was on Forbes Books Radio. I'm going to quote their founder. So this is uh, Gernot Zaki. He's the CEO and founder of Visor. We are charging our customers a fee that covers the majority of taxpayers in the United States. They would be falling into that $99 price point. What that also means is that we are going to be there for our customers, not only for filing, but year round. So you pay a $99 fee, but you get access to your tax advisor 24-7 for a year. I mean, that's just insane. That's, yeah, no, that's completely unrealistic. So $99 a month, maybe like a subscription service that also includes your tax filing. Sure. But $99 $99 for the whole thing, including filing? I don't believe it. But, but that's the promise, right? Like it's this huge overpromise, right? Yeah, that's out there. Um, but it gets better because not only did this firm's founder go out there and tell these things, so they got that big $15 million raise, right? And they obviously, everybody's seen their Facebook ad. I, I'm, I'm assuming you two have. I mean, they, they advertise. No, the hell I didn't see it. You've never seen one? Okay. <laughs> no, oh. The algorithm is not working well, apparently. It's apparently not, not for you guys. So, yeah. but yes, lots of Facebook ads have been ran, a lot of them. But they actually engaged an Instagram model to write a blog post on Vogue magazine. And it's, it's just amazing pictures of her taking a photo of her W-2 with her app, chatting with 
the her, her bookkeeper, or her I'm sorry, not bookkeeper, her her accountant or, or enrolled agent that was doing her taxes, and it's full spread. I mean, it's almost like ridiculous. I mean, I would love for us to get a, a Instagram model to pretend she's listening to the Cloud Accounting podcast or something. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little insane, right? And and I understand like this tax season has been hard for everybody. I understand that maybe their tax professionals got overwhelmed because of the demand and the tax season. Yeah. I also assume they probably don't have as much AI built as they probably wanted to, or they had planned as much tech as they wanted, right? In a way, I almost even feel like that stuff is acceptable. Anyway, the part I don't understand is how you took this VC money, paid an Instagram model to promote it, ran billions of Facebook ads, but didn't spend any money like on an intern to respond to people's inquiries even on Twitter or set up an email address until 24 hours before the tax deadline. Now you set up an email address. Like I just, it's, well, it's, it's yeah. understandable why the customers have lost their minds and have just lit them up on Twitter yeah. like they have. Oh, for sure. Well, so just listening to this story, David, what it sounds like to me is uh, having watched the fire festival documentary <laughs> on Netflix that these guys, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have systems and processes in place or the experience even to, to really know what they were doing. And they got way in over their heads. Demand exceeded their expectations and they couldn't handle it. And instead of being upfront with people and giving them their money back and saying, we can't do your taxes this year, they just took it. Well, they are refunded. I, I saw some tweets. They have refunded some people's money. Oh, okay. People who've requested refunds have gotten refunds. Um, well, so, t- so tell me about this. Garno Zaki, that is the, that's the name of the CEO, right? He's the found, one of the founders, yep. Does he have a tax background or an accounting background? No, he came or, up through the, tax, to the, through the tech world. Okay. And like, does anybody running this company have a background in professional services? So, so that's the divide, right? So they have their tech, right? Kind of that Bay Area. It's the founder, the engineers, the app. Right, the VCs, and then they have the CPAs and EAs are basically in Atlanta. Are they? Do we know if they're contractors or employees? Or so I can get into that in a second because I did wind up checking the Glassdoor reviews. But uh, on Wednesday, I actually emailed, reached out to their founder on LinkedIn, and sent a message. And I just explained to him, "Okay, I've been watching the drama unfold on Twitter, right?" And I even said, like, as of even six minutes ago of me writing this, somebody said their taxes were not filed. And I, and I said that we probably, I'll discuss this in the podcast, but I asked for some official advisor statement. And he said there wasn't an official advisor statement, but they're working hard to improve on, improve things going forward. So I checked the Glassdoor reviews. They have 1.8 stars. And it's very clear there is a division and arguably dysfunction between the San Francisco part of the company and the CPAs and EAs that are in Atlanta. Um, and it looks like based on some of the reviews, they even got rid of eight accountants in early February. That's not a good time to be getting rid of the your talent, right? Like if they're the ones who are supposed to be doing this work. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's going to be legal impl- implications because people's things weren't filed. There's accusations that you didn't even have a CPA or EA sign your return. So oh. in the, the Glassdoor reviews, people are reporting that, hey, there's no more CPAs or EAs there. They're not currently preparing returns. And then taking this full story back to John Young, John Young, who is a CPA, he was actually going to use this service he tested it with his own personal taxes. Sorry, who's John Young? Oh, John Young is the person I started this whole story with who tagged me in the original tweet. Oh, got it. And so John Young, he's a CPA. He was going to try and use technology or this service to push off clients onto. Mm-hmm. So he could focus on higher value clients, right? But he tested it with himself and it didn't go too well. So he um, confirmed with them that a CPA is preparing and signing all the returns. 
based on their message, right? He went and looked in CPA Verify for his preparer. They're not listed in there. <laughs> not cool. And, and just to close on this whole thing, this, this one tweet from Visor kind of takes the cake it, as far as like tech company cockiness. A customer was complaining on Twitter and the customer said, you're not there yet. My taxes are necessarily stressing me out when I could have just gone to an actual CPA for 50 bucks more than what I paid. And the Visor Twitter account at that time on March 12th said, I do apologize for the delay in preparing your taxes. $99 for CPA to do taxes is an extraordinary offer and we've seen significant demand. But this is where the part of that tweet is kind of cocky. If you find an actual CPA to do your taxes for $50 more, in parentheses, while offering audit protection, please let me know. Wow. <laughs> like it's super, super cocky, like to respond yeah. to a customer like that. And then obviously like they failed at their fundamental, fundamental promise, right? And maybe they've done thousands of, thousands of returns, right? So I was actually feeling out on Twitter too. Like there's people that are like, oh, I've been doing taxes for 20 years and maybe twice I've had a return miss a deadline because, you know, some internal process in our company and we missed the return or whatever it might be. Yeah. Like I've never seen, even my work years of working into it in TurboTax, you does 40 million tax returns. I don't feel like I've ever seen this much disdain. So when Visor, when Visor posted this tweet about the the cockiness that was actually back on March 12th. I'm, I'm yeah. a little curious as to what happened to their cockiness between March 12th and April 15th. They certainly weren't at the point to be able to do that at that point and let alone how it goes. But I think that, I mean, first of all, I've got questions. First, the question is, were they doing any kind of beta testing through last year's season so that they can see what the level of demand would be, um, their ability to scale, like if it was even possible? Or is this just something that's popped up within the last six months and they just decided to fire so it off? Apparently last yeah, year, yeah. people were tweeting they had some good experiences with it last year. I think it was oh, probably okay. obviously smaller okay. scale. They didn't go as big. But yeah, so people did use this last year. Yeah. But when did they raise all the money? Um, the second round, I want to say was... In December was, or October. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So like in 2018. Yes. So before this tax season. I'm guessing that they spent all the money on, or a lot of the money on advertising. They created a huge amount of demand. They couldn't satisfy that demand. That That's just my guess. Yeah. But then they also had internal dysfunction, obviously. If, if, oh, if yeah. in February you're getting rid of eight of your accountants and CPAs, like, yeah. Like, like, unless they underestimate their demand, like, oh, we're not going to get much demand. Like, we don't need these extra eight CPAs because obviously they probably needed eight more bodies. Well, I think that this is one of those those you know where tech meets service, right? I think that customer service and communication are the two things in any company that are the hardest to scale. So, sure, AI can help with bookkeeping, or sure, AI can help with tax returns, and sure, it's still putting numbers in boxes. But that part of the organization that's the hardest to scale, like, are these tech companies that are raising all this money really preparing for those things that are the hardest to actually deliver? That's that's where I see these things fall down like all over the yeah. place, right? I think 100%, Rachel, and, and they don't know how to prepare for it because in the tech world, you don't have to provide a lot of service, right? Right. Yeah. And especially with modern SaaS tools, you can, uh, you can create an app that's easy to use and you really don't have to spend a lot on customer support. Maybe it's 90% my app and 10% on helping people use it. You, in professional services, that's flipped. Yeah, absolutely right? it is, yeah. And they just, they, they the arrogance, I think, I can't remember who used that word or the, the cockiness, right? It's like these tech people think that that services are easy. Yeah. And, oh, it's just a bunch of structured data. I, I have a story <laughs> about that. Yeah. That, that. Oh, you know, if we just add some automation and AI, we can, uh, we can disrupt this entire industry. 
And I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree that there is a place for tech within professional services. But I think that on the tech side of things, they severely underestimate the value of the part that professional services people do provide. And you would think that maybe they would get somebody as a co-founder who has done it before, right? You think. (laughs) Who has run a tax firm, maybe? Yeah. Or a bookkeeping firm or something? So I spent all the time on that and... Then finally, the next day, I decided to do my taxes. So I'm waiting until the last possible day <laughs> to do my taxes. It was great. I used to work. Yeah. So just to be clear, this is now April 14th and the deadline is April 15th. Just Yes. Yes. So, okay. <laughs> but remember when we were talking about QuickBooks Live, Blake, and I said, hey, I want to uh-huh. sign up for TurboTax Live so I can kind of give this a ride. I want to talk to Claudel, right? <laughs> so I signed up for TurboTax Live months ago. Right. I've, nope. I've been really procrastinating, you know, to do my taxes at the end. I do all my taxes. It's fine. You know, I'm, I'm paying for TurboTax Live. I get to the very end of my return and they offer me to do a review. And it's Claudel's picture. And absolutely, I ran and got my headset from the other room. I'm like, I'm going to talk to Claudel. I'm super, super <laughs> excited. But then I got a message that it says, uh, our tax experts are booked through the deadline, but we've got you covered with a simple extension. If I need to file an extension, so no late fees or whatever. But I didn't need a file extension. I could just file and return. So I was a little bit sad that I didn't get to talk to Claudel. But I think there's a couple of things in here. Obviously, demand for people. And doing your return with people is huge. Mm-hmm. And like, I think when it's all said and done, I know TurboTax was happy with their numbers last year and who it was when they talked about TurboTax Live. Remember in your blog post, Blake, you went back and researched that from the conference calls yep. with the street. I think you're going to see insane numbers. It's very, very obvious. People see value in spending $169 for their tax return and be able to talk to live video chat with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was nice. I, I tweeted about it with some tears, you know, t- Intuit, uh, reached out, you know, and after actually asked her to refund my TurboTax live part, but I said, no, it's all right. Cause I get it for a year. So I will talk to Claudel soon. <laughs> and, uh, so, I'm, so I'm keeping it for the rest of the year. I will have a TurboTax live experience with Claudel, hopefully. I just think that it is still important to know the who's behind all of this stuff, you know, like with the Glassdoor reviews where he's basically saying there are no CPAs or EAs here. Like they are not the ones that are doing your taxes. So like someplace like the department.tax where you know that there are qualified and, you know, good CPAs and tax preparers and EAs behind the scenes. I I just think like, I don't know, everybody wants the clickbait, you know, cheap price for what I need to have done. I don't know. There's still quality behind that. If it sounds too good to be true, it it probably is. is. Yeah. And, this goes back to the whole botkeeper uh, story. I'm not going to dredge that up. If you are an accounting professional looking to outsource this type of work to a tech company, make sure you ask them who's actually doing the work, right? Absolutely. Like Rachel said, like, are these EAs, are these CPAs, where are they located? How do you compensate them? Are they employees? Are they contractors? We need to do that due diligence on behalf of our clients. And that's it. I beat my two stories. We're done. <laughs> I, I, I didn't do my taxes. I researched Visor and then and I did my taxes. And you didn't get to talk to Claudel. And I didn't get to talk to Claudel, <laughs> which was really, I, I, I was really excited because like, I was like, oh, this is sweet. The offer's there. And I clicked on it and then I got to the next screen and I was like, oh, how, what bummer. They're all booked. Which I, I could understand. Like, it's the last tax day. There's no more. Oh, well, that's kind of how that went. Did anything else happen this week? Because that's all I worked. I had two stories. So I've got a follow up to that, but I, I think we should take a little break. And uh, Rachel has a bit of like more positive news, I think. I so do. Rachel, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. And then we can maybe go back to these tech companies failing. I love this story about Zoom. 
Yeah, so good news for Zoom this week raised its IPO price range to uh, $33 to $35 a share and could be valued at $8.98 billion. And there are other, uh, Pinterest, of course, their IPO is this week as well. I just, I'm, okay, caveat, I'm not an investor. I This really isn't my space. As, you know, an accounting professional and now working, you know, at a tech company, I am really confused about why a web uh, webinar app, basically like a screen share. I pop on Zoom all the time. I send the Zoom link, you know, when doing screen shares, I use it to, you know, record little instructional videos, but how it's possible to have a potential valuation of almost $9 billion. Oh, um, can I take this one? Absolutely. Here's why. Zoom is a profitable company. They've been a profitable company since I think like month eighth or ninth. Which is also rare of an IPO or of a company raising a ton of money, which I also don't understand, right? Yes, compare them to the Lyft IPO or the Uber IPO that's going to happen. Yeah, crazy, right? right? Those companies are going to be $100 billion valuations, and they've never made a profit. With no profit, yeah. Yeah, but they well, they so, they're in less of a deficit than they were the year before. <laughs> it's like I'm sorry, the badge. Like I don't know what to do with that. So my take is um, obviously there's a lot of factors in Zoom stock price and their success, but I, I just feel like the trend toward allowing people to work remotely is what is driving their success. Right. And you know they, I, I've tried everything. I've used GoToWebinar. I've used GoToMeeting. Mm-hmm. I've used uh, Citrix, um, various other products, and like Zoom has the best video audio quality. They do, yeah. Just that's no, good. And so like if you're meeting with people remotely and you want to have that video. There's nothing better. Yeah. And uh, everywhere I go, I'm lucky I've been able to use it. It's kind of amazing to me that these other companies haven't yet been able to figure out how to do, <laughs> you know, video that doesn't stutter. Right. They just released a feature that allows you to get recording consent in the actual uh, platform. So I can make sure that everybody who's on the video that I'm recording has clicked to say they consent. And now I've got that documented, which is really important in some states. Yeah, in right? California it is. Yep. Yeah. California, you have to get bi-directional yep. consent. Yep. Interesting, though, because it came up in a Facebook, one of the Facebook groups, um, and I forget which one it was, where it was basically, okay, Zoom is going IPO. Now, what do we use, you know, besides Zoom? And I was like, why do you have to not use Zoom? It's like, well, now it's going to be this big corporation, and they're going to want to triple their prices. And I (laughs) and I don't want to deal with, you know, huge companies that are all about profit. (laughs) But hopefully, I mean, I don't know if Zoom has a lot of room to raise prices. It's not like we're all using Zoom for six bucks a month. And they, they, they have a lot of room. I mean, it's already kind of expensive. I mean, if you're committed to using it, you're committed to using it. And if you're like, oh, I need to do a webinar, now I'm paying extra 40 bucks a month. Right. So I don't know if they have a lot of room to raise the prices. It's already decently priced. But what I think is another thing Zoom has is Zoom's done a good job of I'm a little sole proprietor and independent guy. There's a Zoom plan for me. But even a huge company gets Zoom and they got the conference thing and it's hooked into the rooms, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. Really solving for all, all market sizes, right? And they've been able to do that because they make the app easy to set up and configure so they don't have to spend a lot on customer support. And if, and if you don't have to spend a lot on customer support, then self-service, then yeah, you can make plans for small firms and plans for enterprise companies. Yeah. Very cool. I'm a big fan. Let's see. I have a little follow-on to, well, we are talking about online tax prep that didn't quite work so well. Overall, though, online tax filing is on the rise, according to a stat that I spotted in accounting today. It's interesting. It's a story that was published on April 15th, but it's using data from the previous tax year, from the uh, uh, 2018 filing period uh, for 2017 returns. Uh, This is data provided by Experian and Axiom. There's a lot of stats in here, but the one that really 
drew me to it was, quote, when breaking down tax filing methods by age groups, those 65 years old and over were found to be the most likely to use walk-in tax services. No surprise yeah. there, right? Compared to a scant 3.7% for those aged 21 to 29. That's a hu- that was a huge difference. I don't know what the percentage of was for the 65 years old, but yeah, that's... So you're saying no young so people are seeing, nobody in their 20s is seeing a Liberty tax person dressed up on the side of the road for the biggest sign and being, that seems like a place I want to do my taxes at. And they just pull over their car and get their taxes done. Like that's not happening. We're talking less than 4%. So like, I don't know, um, I'm not a particular risk taker when it comes to like the stock market. But um, if you're listening and uh, you know you, you, you like to pick stocks, I would say short Liberty tax <laughs> right now. <laughs> That long go long on that because I mean, if four percent less than four percent are using it that are in their twenties, who's going to be using it in ten twenty years? I, like, you I know? take back my my because I think we talked about this with the Intuit earnings a few months back, and yeah. I, I think even in then I said if you follow these trends in ten years, tax stores will be gone. But if it's this, if the numbers are already this low, it's going to be less than ten three point seven. Like they might be gone faster than that. And this is why like Visor probably had crazy demand because people want to file online. They just want to snap a picture of their W-2, right? Answer a few questions via chat and get it done. You want the experience that the Instagram model had. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Do they just not have enough options? Are there not enough online tax filing methods to be able to to do that? Well, I mean, there's the the big ones, right? You got TurboTax, you got H&R Block, but I think... So those are the self-service online options for the most part, right? Although TurboTax now has that live component, you still have to fill it all out yeah, yourself. Yeah, the do it for me, do it so with ne- me stuff, yeah. Yeah, so the do it for me online is the next, you know, untapped yeah. potential, yeah. right? If somebody can figure that out and, you know, actually keep their customers happy, then the, the, that'll be the next And TurboTax. actually have EAs and CPAs doing the returns, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's tough because yeah. that, that, the, the, it's the price. Right. Yeah. And well, and the do it for me is very service heavy. Right. And and you can't just put people into a, a box. That's probably what broke down, too. Right. You can't just uh, not everybody is the same. People are all different. And that's why there are accounting firms. Cool. Well, here's the story that really relates to what you were talking about, David. Spotted this in uh, Fortune magazine. Apparently, Pilot, the they describe themselves as an AI accounting service. Pilot has raised $40 million from Index Ventures uh, and also includes Stripe, which is interesting. Online payments giant Stripe has become a strategic investor in Pilot. And, and Pilot, by the way, is online uh, bookkeeping. Much like Visor is for tax, Pilot is for, for bookkeeping. They use QuickBooks as their general ledger, and you can subscribe to a flat monthly fee package for them to do all of your bookkeeping on a cash or accrual basis. Looks like anywhere from a couple hundred bucks to a thousand bucks a month kind of plans. The thing that really struck me about this article was the quote from their CEO, Wasim Daher, D-A-H-E-R, not sure how you say that. He said, what is bookkeeping? It's a series of structured data, dates, amounts, and so on, but it still involved the incredibly laborious process of people clicking around in QuickBooks. See, this, so that's right, his definition of bookkeeping. This to me is like, ah, <laughs> because it goes back to what we were talking about, the challenge with, you know, that, that blend of tech and service. Yes, functionally, it's numbers and boxes, right? That I mean, tax returns, bookkeeping, whatever. But it's that service component that these tech companies are severely underestimating. And it, that when I read that quote, I was like, okay, so you also don't get it. I, I think there's actually three stories in this story. 
so one of them is you take this 40 million and now pilot. And I call these, you know, these accounting firms with engineers under roof, right? That's what they are, right? They're accounting firms with engineers. They're, they're, they're automating processes that are building. If you want to, okay, fine. They're building AI, they machine, they bots, whatever you want to call this stuff, right? But they, it's an accounting firm with an engineers under roof. In the last year to year and a half, I think, and this counts like the bench raises and Cedrus had a $40 million or $30 million Ooh. raise. You start adding those up, you know, a botkeeper would add 18 million, I think. Yeah, scale factor had some too, right? Like these are, these are all Yeah, so, so you're, you're approaching 300 million in VC money that's gone to accounting firms. Process that for a second. No. They're, they're accounting firms with engineers, but they're essentially accounting and bookkeeping firms. That's one of the stories here. The other story of this, it was kind of a little sentence. They announced that they're, they're starting a product called Pilot Tax. So obviously they're getting into that same game Visor is and TurboTax Live is and everybody else is, right? Which is very interesting. And I think the third part of this story is the fact that Stripe's involved. So you know how I've talked about in the past that, hey, Square is kind of doing everything. Right. If they had a GL, they're a full blown thing. Stripe in the same way. Stripe, I know, acquired uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, I, I think the company was called Payable. It was software to help people do the to do some processing with the 1099s. Because apparently if you do a lot of with Stripe stuff, you might have to do a lot with 1099s or Stripe has to do a lot of 1099s work. And they bought a company to help with the processing of 1099s. So is Stripe heading down that path that Squarehead yeah, is totally hey? People are using us. Hey, it's very easy. I'm going to do your books. I'm going to do your taxes. I'm going to help you with 1099s. And all of a sudden, Stripe becomes this full service thing. And then it's like, oh, when does there a Stripe GL? Is that next? So there's kind of three stories here. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The part that's curious to me is that Pilot is based on QuickBooks. So at what point are they then a competitor to QuickBooks, right? If If they are leveraging this other beast that I mean, frankly, could at any time say, yeah, no, we've got our own thing. We don't want to connect with you. Or is it, um, you know, at, at what point will they compete? I mean, we've seen QuickBooks compete with their own pro advisors for Pete's sake. So mm-hmm. what, like, at, at what point do you kind yeah. of cut the apron strings? Well, this clearly is QuickBooks. This is QuickBooks Live right here. I mean, it's broader scope of services, but it's the, yeah, they will right. be competing with so each other. So then they must so at some point have competing. a plan for their own GL so that that conflict isn't in place. Wouldn't like, doesn't that make sense? Well, and they talk about in the article, it's a huge risk, right? To have your, all your client data on some other yeah. software and, and that. It, but, but, but it's, it, it's a risk, but it's also not a risk, right? You can compare and contrast, right? Um, Bench who does everything on their own proprietary system. And then you look at quick, Let's say quick, let's say, okay, we talked about TurboTax Live and obviously the numbers thus far have been, it's a huge success. And I have zero doubt QuickBooks Live is not going to be a monster success, right? What if the demand is so huge for QuickBooks Live that Intuit can't scale fast enough? If somebody like Pilot is already has processes and built on QuickBooks, it can be very easy. And Pilot, I'm, are you believe that's a pro advisor? They could easily partner with somebody like Intuit and offer the QuickBooks Live service behind the scenes, right? But somebody who is not built on the QuickBooks GL, right, under the covers could not probably partner like that. Mm. So so there's risk of it being competitive, but it also could be a partnership in the yeah, long term. Yeah, I think this is a wait wait and see on that part of it. But but again, they're not yes, doing anything yes. that other firms aren't already doing, like what you said, like BotKeeper and Bench and Ceteris and uh, scale factor and stuff mm. like that. But what I thought was interesting, I've got another article here that says uh, I Bailey is acquiring a data analytic, analytics service. So in that vein of, you know, that accountant and tech, 
you know, overlap is that in most cases where we see, you know, the pilots and the scale factors and the bench and stuff like that, in many cases, it's like a tech company who's seeing the opportunity in accountants and so feel they need to hire some accountants in order to do that. Like sometimes it's not accountant driven. Mm -hmm. It'll be really interesting to now see because large firms and, and big four firms are doing the exact same thing. It's like when you look at the landscape, everybody wants to offer cloud accounting, bookkeeping services. Everybody wants to automate the bookkeeping part so that they can add advisory like across the board. Right. So it'll be really interesting to see then when you've got a firm the size of Ide Bailey, then buying up technology companies, how easy it is that they're going to be within the culture, within the organization itself to really be shifting to fill this need that we see everywhere else. But in more of a model where, again, it's not tech driving accounting, it's accountants leveraging tech like right within the organization. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that how that goes. So, so just to sure. rephrase yeah. this to make sure I heard you correctly, the accounting firm bought a data analytics and data warehousing company, not a tech company buying an accounting firm. Right. Yeah. And in this case, it was data analytics. But I mean, I think that we're just going to continue to see, like we've seen, for example, big four firms buy cloud accounting, you know, those smaller organizations that do automated bookkeeping. Uh, Blake, you might know something about that. So we've seen that. But at this point, they're now actually buying the technology company itself. And so I thought in this case, it's data analytics, but I think we're also going to continue to see more of that where the large firms are buying the technology that will then drive processes within the, the firm, especially big ones. Opposite, true, right? Like, didn't um, Indonero acquire, was it M Accounting? They did, yeah. So, Which was a QuickBooks firm. So, Modern brand, online services, doing Quick, QuickBooks bookkeeping and accounting and tax. For sure. And, and from all sizes and every combination you can think of, you know, whether it's tech buying accounting or accounting buying tech and all sizes. Well, speaking of uh, technology, and uh, we just, you know, had our tax day here in the States, the IRS has released a six-year plan to finally modernize <laughs> their aging computer systems. I'm sorry, I'm laughing Ooh. because it's like a six-year plan is going to be obsolete by year three. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So um, we've talked in the past about the IRS and how they have some of the oldest computer systems in the federal government here wow. that date back to the Kennedy administration. I, I can't remember if it's as old or older than the, the computer systems that um, guide our nuclear missiles, but it's uh, scary kind of in both ways. Uh, <laughs> you may be asking yourself, what is this? What is included in this modernization effort? Uh, this is called the IRS Integrated Modernization Business Plan, and it is expected to cost between two point three billion to two point seven billion over six years through fiscal year twenty twenty four. They're focusing it around four modernization pillars. Number one is taxpayer experience. So they want to implement uh, systems to help taxpayers understand the tax laws and resolve issues quickly and efficiently. They're going to give taxpayers more information about their accounts, tax obligations, and payment options online. They're going to evolve their core tax, pay, tax systems to offer faster, easier tax filing services. They're going to modernize their operations. I imagine that means getting rid of those mainframe computers that they've still got. And they're going to work on their cybersecurity, uh, which has still been a, a big problem with uh, tax refund fraud. We, we, David, uh, remember we talked recently about how they uh, they only manually check uh, refund checks? That's crazy to me. Or they only manually... Right, they're over too much. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, so maybe they'll implement, you know, some sort of internal <laughs> control that, that like doesn't print the check without a human verification. Oh yeah. And they're still printing and mailing checks, of course. You know, I, I imagine that in a couple of years we'll come back and we'll find that they've spent all the money and nothing's happened. Oh, yeah. I don't want to be too this negative. This is 25 episodes. Like, we're, we're going to be like, <laughs> this is fodder. Like, this is going to be great to watch. This like, is uh, Phoenix in Canada and yeah. Fiscal in California all over again, right? Like, they, they did call out one specific feature that I think people will really like, which is implementing customer callback technology. So, you know, you, you don't have to stay on hold anymore, that you can, they'll, they'll call you back when an agent is available. If you can catch the phone at that exact moment, otherwise you're hooped anyway. That's true. What else do we got this week? I was inspired, Blake, by your passionate discussion with Botkeeper and where you were trying to stress the importance of the value of the CPA and that you guys have, there are things that they need to uphold to. There are things that they need to do and agree to as part of the CPA. So there's an article in PR Web, I believe, where it's actually promoting a webinar where there will be a virtual strategic discussion. But the whole point of this webinar, and this will be in the show notes so that you guys can sign up, it's not going to be until Tuesday, May 7th, so you've got a little bit of time, um, where it's basically the whole conversation is going to be about the relevancy of the CPA credential itself. So are CPAs as relevant as what they have been in the past? Is it as important to make sure that you are partnering with the CPA mm-hmm. through your business and everything like that? Um, or is the CPA credential itself maybe losing a little bit of luster? Like I'm, I'm kind of afraid that the technology that is um, reinforcing, you know, CPAs are signing off on this and CPAs are checking this. It feels like to me that it's kind of diluting maybe the, importance of what a CPA is able to do for you, or maybe they're just getting called out that maybe they shouldn't be held as in high regard as they are. I'm not really sure what to think about this, but I thought it was at least an interesting discussion. What are your points, Blake, as a CPA? Yeah, as a CPA, right? um, The value of the license is very important to me because I spent so much time and money on it. I, I talk a lot about in my presentations about the, the difficulty in hiring and retaining and recruiting talent in the accounting world. Yeah. And one of the stats that I bring up is the flatlining of CPA candidates over time. It's not like it's gone down, but it hasn't gone up in the way that you would think it would with with growth, right? With economic growth, with population growth. We're not producing any more CPAs than we did 10, 20 years ago, it seems like. Uh, and I wanted to know why. So I found, an, I, I finally figured it out. It appears that a lot of folks are now actually taking the CMA exam and becoming CMAs instead of CPAs these days. So the certified management accountant as opposed to public accountant. Yeah. And CMA, that's a, that was actually what I was going for. And then Canada introduced the merging of all the designations. And then uh, anyway, all hell broke loose. No, I'm kidding. It was fine. It was fine. But some people benefited more than others. But there is an interesting, I think it goes right along with what you're saying. So Elizabeth Kolar, Chief Knowledge Officer at Surgeon, uh, there's a quote in here. Nearly every year for the past decade, the number of accounting graduates across the U.S. has risen, while the number of candidates sitting for the CPA exam has either remained flat or declined. And in some years that has been substantial. So it's like the education that you get within the process is super valuable, but the actual achieving those numbers behind your, or those letters behind your name actually aren't. And so that's, that's interesting that we're not seeing a flat line across the board, but there is a difference between the number of, you know, that are entering the program or even completing the program and then the ones sitting for the exams. 
Well, and the folks who administer and 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 choose the curriculum, well, not choose the curriculum, but choose what's going to be on the CPA exam have a really hard time because the CPA exam is enshrined in state law in all 50 states in most cases. So if you want to change the exam, you have to change the law, which is not easy to do well, in to 50 different things, right? So then yeah. we know that the law isn't keeping up with the technology and with things that are actually happening within the industry. And yet you can't change the designation until the law changes. So then yep. we end up with all of these CPAs that come out, you know, are now designated accountants, get into the workforce and go, whoa, whoa, what's this whole data automation thing? Like yeah. so that has to shift. It has, but if it, then if it's not at the education level, because it can't, because of the state law, how is it even possible to start making that shift? Yeah, well, and that's the risk is that if we don't figure out how to do it, um, then other designations will come along and eat our lunch. Yeah. Uh, and, and I actually did talk to somebody from the AICPA. I can't remember who. It was at the uh, AICPA Controllers Conference. And he said that their plan is to actually not change the sections of the exam because that is part of what's in law, but to... Uh, work around it by keeping the same section titles and then changing the content in each section to potentially have different tracks. So there could be like a a, a more technical accounting track for your CPA exam, or you could do a more technology focused one. And the questions would change in each section depending on that. But they would still Uh, fulfill the state requirements for those sections. It would exactly because in law, all that matters is you pass that particular section, right? So it's a workaround. I don't know. I'm not that optimistic though given how quickly things change and how slow i mean there was an article that i was going to talk about about changes to the cpa exam that are coming it's so boring i mean (laughs) the big change that just happened is that now you can use microsoft excel on the cpa exam it's like built into the app so this is the groundbreaking um (laughs) innovative solution yeah well we're you know we're catching up to 20 years ago so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the fact is that there's a ton of opportunity, as you know, as, as David, as you know, as Rachel, as you know, but we have to teach ourselves. But I think this is something that's happening in all professions that like all the opportunity, academia can't keep up, right? Things are changing too fast. Like, just like you said, Rachel, the IRS is going to modernize in six years, <laughs> theoretically, yeah. and in six years, it'll be outdated again, right? I think our entire model of education is broken. And we really need to focus more on creating lifelong learners, people who can teach themselves, more than people who memorize specific pieces of information. Because, uh, you know, I can Google anything that I learned in school and, you know, find out the answer. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> but goes- a lot of people don't know how to Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually goes right to. So the next article that I pasted, just to kind of support this from a more broad level, is Harvard Business Review The Future of Leadership Development. Essentially, it's, it's saying exactly that. Our, our schools are not delivering the level of education that we now need within the workplace, but we're also seeing disjointed between the leadership of these organizations, especially when you're dealing with large firms, you know, the partners and all of those guys. And then the ones that are, you know, the millennials that are coming through, apparent, what was it, 80% of the workforce will be millennials within the next five years, and they want to be leading. So how can we develop now a a level of leadership or leadership training that will really help them lead in the best possible way or have them 
um, start framing what lifelong learning looks like, but within these organizations that have kind of these old school partners. So, uh, yeah, it was a really, yeah. it was a really interesting article, but kind of goes to support, well, probably, I don't know, maybe not for other people, but for me, it was really interesting because it went to support, okay, this isn't just happening with accountants. This is happening across the board and it is something that needs to be fixed. And so what are some of the things that we can be incorporating into each of our industries or markets or, you know, the spaces that we're in to make sure that we're continuing that lifelong learning process. I don't think anyone really has an answer at this point. And I wish I did. I could raise some funds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even think you need to, apparently from everything I've read, if you just use the words AI powered, <laughs> uh, automated blockchain accounting, Got it. you just put, put those words on like five different slides sure. uh, in a PowerPoint, you can go raise like $18 million. Done. So, and I, I, will, I will happily be your co-founder. <laughs> you want to awesome. D David, anything else that you wanted to talk about this week? Cause I, I kind of, I actually got to get going to a meeting. So we, we've been having so much fun talking. I forgot yeah, I don't uh, have anything else. I pretty much uh, beat it all in two articles. Maybe next week I'll bring something that overflowed from this week, but uh, I, I think I'm good. I would say if any of you are listening and you did use Pilot and your taxes were not filed, please reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at David Leary. And uh, I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And Rachel, how can people connect with you? I'm on Twitter at Fishbooks. And don't forget to follow the Cloud Accounting Podcast on Facebook. Find our Facebook page, Cloud Accounting Podcast. You can also subscribe to my email newsletter. Go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com, click the subscribe banner, and you will receive the show notes emailed to you the day after each episode drops. And that way you'll have all the links there in your email to follow up on anything that you really enjoyed. Uh, and give us a review on iTunes and we will read it on the air. So uh, take it as an opportunity to compliment us. Take it as an opportunity to tell us what you think. And how co-hosts are the best things ever. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel, for being our first uh, uh, co-host, guest co-host. It was really fun. <laughs> Thank so you guys bar. so much yeah, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Well, have a great week. And uh, David, I'll, I'll see you back here again uh, on Friday. Bye, everybody. Bye.